You're listening to the Fearless Kitchen Podcast. And now it's time to join your host, Vanessa Baxter. I'll take what's good. Welcome to the Fearless Kitchen brought to you by worldpodcast.com. Thanks, a huge thank you. I keep forgetting to do this and it's awful uh, because she's just such an integral part of me putting this podcast together and up online for you guys. And it's Selena. She is my partner here in getting these edited and up for you to listen to by Friday and hounding me for all the words that need to go with it and without her this podcast would not be in existence because I just wouldn't be able to pull it all together. So I sit here and I talk and I record and do my interviews but she does all the behind the scenes stuff and so we need to give her a huge yay and thank you and she is for me worldpodcasts.com so um, between us we are bringing you The Fearless Kitchen. So today's episode, I have decided to share with you my few days in Greece. So I was living in London and I was staying with my cousin there and I had decided to get into uh, rollerblading. So inline skating, it's called now. And I bought myself at Harrods a pair of inline skates and my cousin already had a pair and he and I would go to Central Park, not Central Park, that's in New York, to Hyde Park in London and we would practice our rollerblading and it was a complete scene at the time and everyone would be out if there was a slight glimmer of sunshine in London. We'd all be out inline skating and practicing trying to stay upright on those crazy (laughs) skates. Anyway, I got pretty good and I was taking some time off work and I had signed up for an agency for some work, which you've heard about in other episodes. That's actually how I got the job ultimately in Cape Cod. But at this point in time, I didn't have any specific work and I was simply practicing rollerblading in London and I loved it. It just felt like I was at home there and I would be out and about when other people were at work. So it was never very busy and it was a really cool time to practice skating. Anyway, one day I ended up uh, rollerblading through Hyde Park, through Kensington Gardens and down onto Kensington High Street. And I went past a travel agent. And in London, the travel agents are amazing because, of course, they always have these crazy offers on prices to Europe for return prices for ridiculous amounts of money, you know, as in cheap. And I remember stopping at the window and going, 59 pounds return to Greece. You've got to be kidding. This was just insanely cheap. So I took my rollerblades off and I went in and I said, you know, what are the terms and conditions? And basically had to go the next day to get the 59 pound return. And you had to come back at a certain time and you could only arrive in and out of Rodos. And of course, in those days, again, showing my age, there was no Google, there was no internet. So I had to go then put my rollerblades. I booked the ticket, by the way, totally fearless, as usual, booked the ticket, paid for it and decided to go to Greece the next day. Put my inline skates back on, went down to a bookshop, took them off again, went in, bought the Lonely Planet guide to Greece and went back to my cousin's place, waited for him to come home from work and said, hey, I'm off to Greece tomorrow for £59 return. 
Of course, he was absolutely outraged, horrified and livid because he had a full-time job and he just couldn't believe the freedom I had at that point. It was very frustrating for him. He was incredibly envious, but like, no problem. Uh, see you in a week. And I sat down and read my Lonely Planet Guide for Rodos. And I was a bit disturbed when I was reading it because it was obviously where all the English in those days would jump on their cheap flights and head into Rodos. And it sounded like it was going to be a bit of a tourist trap and didn't sound too exciting uh, to me at that point. And I thought, oh, maybe I've made a poor call here. Anyway, in continuing to read The Lonely Planet, I came across a small little section that talked about a little outlying island called Halki. And that you could get a ferry over to Halki and there were like literally two places I think that you could stay, very small population, tiny little bay, fishing village with a few little cafes. And one of the places you could stay was a bed and breakfast and the wife was English, she had married a Greek man and they had set up this lovely little bed and breakfast on this island and I thought that sounds like me. So I have no idea to this day now how I contacted her because there was no way of emailing or texting or anything. So I must have called, I guess I called to a home phone uh, on this Greek island and said that I wanted to come and that was all okay and she explained how there was one ferry a day to get the ferry over there and uh, I decided that's what I was going to do. So that is exactly what I did do. And the ferry trip over to Helki was incredibly rough. And I remember feeling quite ill on the way over. But as we arrived on the jetty of Helke, I thought I had never seen anything more beautiful. It was this tiny little bay with these little whitewashed and sort of blue coloured cafes and houses all perched around the bay, looking down onto the bay. One jetty that our daily, actually I don't even think it was daily, I think the the ferry came every three days or something. But we arrived and this lovely English lady was waiting to greet me and to take me up to her home. And it was the beginning of four or five absolutely dreamy days on this Greek island. I know I had a couple of books to read. I had a notepad and a pen. I had like a sketching book and I kind of just had decided to just do nothing and just walk and eat and take notes and write and enjoy the sunshine. And that is exactly what I did. And what I absolutely fell in love with there, of course, was, surprise, surprise, it was the food. And it was just the most amazing opportunity to sit in the morning and have a bowl of rich, creamy Greek yogurt covered in divine honey. And I used to think how healthy I was being having that breakfast. And I learned later that the Greek yogurt really was just made purely from cream. I don't care. It was breathtakingly delicious. The view, of course, was also breathtaking. And I just loved the simplicity about it all. It was all about whitewashed walls and this beautiful, rich, creamy white yogurt and the blue of the sea and just sitting there with literally 
nothing ahead of you for the day. And I would watch the fishermen coming back in because I was never up early enough to watch them going out. But I would watch the fishermen coming back in with their haul of fish and seafood and unloading their boats. And it was the very first time I ever saw anyone pounding shrimp. And I watched this guy one morning coming off with his shrimp and pounding it against the lip of where the jetty edge was and he would pound it against the edge of the jetty uh, to tenderize it and I remember going down and kind of trying to talk to him about what he was doing because I didn't actually realize what he was doing but he only spoke Greek and I only spoke English so in the end it kind of dawned on me that this must have been obviously the way of tenderizing it and he did point to me where he was going to be giving his squid who, who it was that he was passing his squid too Uh, and it was that restaurant slash cafe that I went back to that evening and ate squid and it was so tender and delicious and beautiful and just thinking wow I've kind of probably for the first time then ate very much from sea to plate and understood really actually how that had happened and and watched it happen and it was really um, an eye-opening experience for me it was so beautiful and the island itself really only had um one place to walk, really. Uh, it's it's so beautiful and unspoiled. It's sort of like a little place that you just unwind, you soak up the warmth, um, and the community is very small and very close-knit, and there's just this one walk that you can do all the way up to the top of the island, and on the top there, there are some ruins of, uh, I guess, I am assuming it was probably a monastery or something that was at the top or maybe it was a fort and you could you could climb up there and sort of wander through the ruins and things up there. It was very, very hot walk and, of course, there's literally nothing up there. It's just rocks and so you've got to remember to take water and I think that I learnt that the first time when I tried to go up without any water Um, uh, then you would of course head back down in the afternoon back down into the harbour there were lots of little tiny weeny little bays um, with little wooden fishing boats bobbing around um, with their bright colours sort of adding to the gorgeous blue and freshness of the Mediterranean and you could uh, sunbathe and swim in these little gorgeous pools of water uh, and then head back down to the main harbour for a really delicious uh, drink and dinner down there. It was, uh, you know, tavernas and bakeries and cafes and it was there that I ate the most delicious moussaka and it was so good that I went into the kitchen and I really wanted to learn how to make this moussaka and the mama in the kitchen, somehow we agreed that I would go back the next day during the day and she would show me how she made her moussaka. And it was 
fantastic. She, I realised when I watched her make her uh, bechamel exactly how a true bechamel should be made and how it is its own huge layer and how it rises and is so light and creamy and amazing. And I remember watching her make it and just thinking, oh, that looks so fantastic, Um, so amazing and delicious. And she laughed at my interest and I took so many photos, which of course I couldn't show her because I had to get them processed when I got back to London because it was the days before digital cameras. Uh, And I think I even popped some in an envelope and tried to send them to her. I always tried to do that. I always tried to send photos back to people who had helped me or been a part of my journey and my learning along the way. And I I never knew if they ever got these photos, but at least I knew that I had made an effort to share how much their time with me had actually meant to me at the time. I think the other thing as well about Halke was that it was really traditional. It wasn't touristy. So the food was all about fresh olives, fresh yogurt, fresh seafood, freshly made moussaka by the mama at her little uh, bistro. And there was the taramasalata, but it was very much uh, about the freshness and there wasn't like... Greek salad and a little cafe with all the dips lined up in a window. It was very much kind of organic and what came. And what I noticed was when I had to get the ferry back to Rodos and have a couple of nights in Rodos, uh, that was just so much more catered to the tourists and to what we would expect of Greek food and it was really hard to kind of cut through that and find something more authentic. So, you know, for me, uh, Greece, it was about uh, octopus hanging out to dry, you know, being grilled or marinated uh, and served uh, with a drink pre-dinner. It was about really delicious uh, yogurt and honey and fresh fish, with minimal fast, you know, just grilled whole or drizzled with lemon and oil. Uh, it was just about grilled meats as well. So when we did get back to Rodos, or I did, uh, I tried very hard to kind of work my way past all the tourist places and see if I could just find like some really cool charcoal grilled uh, lamb coft or something, some, some lamb skewers and things. And of course, you know, there was the typical loads of dolmades and uh, dips, as I've said, the taramasalata and the courgette balls. And then, of course, the baklava, which I absolutely love. Any sweets based on olive oil and honey with flaky phyllo, they are going to get me. Uh, They can be filled with custard. They can be layered with honey and ground nuts. It doesn't matter. You have me at those ingredients. So yummy and so delicious. So it is really quite amazing, of course, that uh, all these countries in Europe, they're small and they're so close to each other. And a lot of the influence of their cuisine is, of course, from the border countries or from the people who have migrated in and out. However, it is extraordinary to me that you can visit Greece, you can visit Switzerland, France and Italy and have such 
obvious uh, cultural differences in the food and very clear distinctions in the diets of the people and what they culturally hang on to as their specific cuisine and how they eat and when they eat. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. And it is one of the joys for me of being able to travel is to see how food is so tightly woven with culture and family and sharing and it is such an important part of countries and their history and the whole understanding of the world and uh, I just think that travel and food uh, really and truly is hand in hand, part and parcel of the same thing. And I hope that this little story about my amazing little trip, uh, very many years to go to the gorgeous island in Greece called Halki, uh, can give you maybe a deep love towards trying some traditional Greek food and um, trying something different this week, you know, whether it's a slightly different way of doing a meatball, a slightly different way of doing a barbecue skewer or whether it is cooking up a moussaka and, you know, trying that incredibly gorgeous, rich layering of aubergine and bechamel because I know you will love it and it might even change just take you for a moment onto a Greek island if you close your eyes and sip a nice light wine at the same time and allow you to have just a little five-minute holiday, even if you're still sitting in your own home somewhere else in the world. Thank you again for allowing me to share my stories and my passion for food and travel with you on my podcast. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure to always know that you guys are listening and supporting me. As you know, my book is also now published and on the bookshelves here in New Zealand and we're trying to get it to those of you who would like it elsewhere in the world uh, without costing a fortune in postage, which is always the big issue. It is called The Fearless Kitchen. It is available through my website, thefearlesskitchen.co.nz. You can order it online. Uh, Thank you so much for continuing to follow me through this podcast, through my journey with food, and I look forward to touching base with you again next week. Goodbye. See you. The Fearless Kitchen Podcast.